You want cutting-edge ministry? Pastor Ed Tanner gets back to the basics. You know what I believe cutting-edge ministry is? Just in case you've ever wondered what I, what, just as a pastor, what I think cutting-edge ministry is? Holiness under the Lord. You can't stop a church that's living in the power of the Spirit of God. You can't stop the move of the church when they're living unto Jesus obediently in holiness. I'm not setting up some standard of holiness and this is what it looks like. You know what it looks like in your life. You know what it is to glorify God, to honor him, to have your life not draw attention away from Jesus, but go, wow, that's a power that is different. But when the church looks like the world, that's not cutting edge, that's a dull edge. This is amazing grace. Have you ever stopped to think for a moment about what life would be like if it weren't for the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross? Life would be pointless, futile, and empty. In fact, that can pretty much sum up any life today that doesn't include a relationship with Jesus. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor continues our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians with a look at what communion is all about. The church in Corinth had lost sight of this. Let's make sure we don't do the same. Verse 19 now, there must also be factions. That was problem number two. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Factions is a step above divisions where now there's a recognition of people to the exclusion of others. Factions speak of the choices that people make and how they were making them recognizing certain people over others, tearing at the very fabric of fellowship and love. People that wanted to be recognized made sure that they were recognized. That's sad. Drawing attention away from Jesus to the person for whatever good deed that might have been done or whatever teaching might have been said, whatever it might have been to isolate them, we're not told. There were factions. There were divisions and then there were factions. Thirdly, In verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. Hmm. That's not good. Let's come, let's go to church, honey. I hear they got some good stuff, you know. It's the agape feast, and I hear brother so-and-so brings the good wine. (laughs) Wow. It's it's just so foreign to our mindset. Coming to church to get drunk. Sounds way beyond any acceptable means. This isn't isn't dabbling in things. This is full-blown drunkenness. It's sad to say, but there are many churches today trying the new cutting-edge stuff. Maybe you've gotten a flyer or an invitation New cutting edge stuff, depending on what neighborhood they're in or who they're targeting, whatever their study, 
the targeting of those younger people, they'll be doing outreaches with open bars. Or if it's a more elegant area, wine and cheese tasting outreaches. The Bible draws a line. It's pretty clear. Stay away from this stuff. It's not good for you. It'll stumble others. Be careful. The church in Corinth had gone over the edge. When they came together, they weren't coming together for each other. People were getting drunk. The third problem that was in the church in Corinth surrounding communion was selfishness. That's what he's describing here. You know what I believe cutting-edge ministry is? Just in case you've ever wondered what I, what, just as a pastor, what I think cutting-edge ministry is? Holiness under the Lord. You can't stop a church that's living in the power of the Spirit of God. You can't stop the move of the church when they're living unto Jesus obediently in holiness. I'm not setting up some standard of holiness and this is what it looks like. You know what it looks like in your life. You know what it is to glorify God, to honor him, to have your life not draw attention away from Jesus, but go, wow, that's a power that is different. But when the church looks like the world, that's not cutting edge, that's a dull edge. We've taken away the power. When, when Jesus, he walked through the world, he didn't isolate himself. He hung out at these drunken parties. He was at marriages where married, you know, marriage ceremonies where there were drunk people. He was around sinners all the time. He doesn't call us to, to leave the world. He calls us to infiltrate the world. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, there was a distinction in all the fun and laughter I think Jesus had. They knew who Jesus was. There was no, I wonder where Jesus is. Uh, there's 50 people here and they're all sloshed out and drunk and I don't know who Jesus is. He's just like all over. It, it wasn't like that at all. Drunkenness is a sin. We know Jesus stayed away from it. Why would we think we could go in that direction? Why does the church in Corinth, they, it's only a few years. This isn't that long after the resurrection of Jesus. Just a few years. Already, I know somebody hear this on the radio, I'll get an email, oh, you're old-fashioned, whatever. No, it's just biblical, man. I'm not trying to be old-fashioned. You want a life that is going to penetrate a dark world? Then be a light. You want a life that's going to speak to others? Then live for Jesus in your world. Live a distinctive life that reflects his love and his grace. Every Bible writer speaks of soberness, sober-mindedness, alertness. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. Jesus talked about it. James, he says, don't you just hear the word? Be doers of the word. There's that beauty. You want cutting-edge ministry. I think cutting-edge ministry is just getting back to a few basics. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How can you improve on that? What's so cutting-edge about that? We could come together and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, giving us wisdom and understanding. They were remembering Jesus in their meal, yet at the same time only thinking of themselves as they were taking food, in my mind, in my sanctified imagination, hopefully I can see the potluck tables and just people pushing each other and getting the best and I want that piece of pie and fighting over it and under the table and food's flying all over. Where's the wine? Where's the wine? You know, it's just like, they're in church. It's a, it's a gathering of believers. Selfishness. On top of all that, there was that over emphasis that consum hey Jesus had wine in communion so give me the bottle and there was an overconsumption of wine that people were getting drunk 
folks eating so much that others were leaving hungry. It's not the way of the Lord. And this is what verse 17, Paul says, I can't praise you in this. I can't praise you. When you're coming together, verse 20, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. You've lost it. Your mind is somewhere else. Your motives are polluted. You're, You're not coming together to worship. In verse 22, he says, what? I have to admit, I stopped at that word for a moment as I was studying, and there are times when things happen around here in the ministry, when somebody finally, when I finally find out about it, or I, I, somebody finally can share with me what's going on, you know, my response is, what? Did that really happen? Did we really miss that? Did we really not take care of that? What? I, I understand just a little bit. We've never gotten this bad. Praise God. God has been very good to our church. We haven't ever got a letter from Paul that says, you drunken Calvary Chapel, you guys, what are you guys doing? What's in those trays, man? Give it, you know, somebody doesn't take one of the little cups. You see, they're taking a tray back to their, ta- you know, back. hey, I'm, I'm, this is all mine. We haven't had that. There are times, though, where we've made mistakes as pastors or leaders or something got missed. And, and, and as I hear about it, or I'm like, what? I understand. Then he gives them instruction. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I don't praise you. Despising the church of God, taking advantage of one another. In the church in Corinth, there were very, people that were very, very well off. And there were people that were dirt poor. But that distinction was gone. In, in the early church, it would not be uncommon to have somebody very, very wealthy sitting next to someone very, very poor. It would be obvious. It would be noticeable. James told us, he taught us, when somebody like that walks into your congregation, somebody that looks very well off, somebody that doesn't, be careful you don't show partiality to them. As people are coming from every part and every walk of life, the distinction that I hear here is that those that really had great need went home hungry still. For many in the early church, this was the best meal that they would have all week. This would be the best time of fellowship that they would have all week. As people were crowding around and taking advantage, there were still people going home hungry, going home in need, and he couldn't praise them. Paul had been with this church for 18 months, planting it, setting a foundation, establishing them in their faith and doctrine. He spent 18 months wholly dedicated to laying a good, strong foundation, probably a sweet time daily, morning sessions for those that could come morning, evening sessions, weekends, coming together, laying out the foundation for the leadership in 18 months. And now about five years later, the church has gone over the deep end in so many different areas, including communion becoming a drunken party. Paul's heart was simply, what? As he heard about it, what's happening here? During communion, it's clear that Jesus would have us to remember his finished work on the cross. It's not about us, but about him. Verse 23 begins an explanation. We often use this in communion. 
Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This was a spiritual revelation to Paul because he wasn't there at the Last Supper. He wasn't one of those disciples. He wasn't one of the apostles then. He was a rank unbeliever in the Messiah, developing in his mind already a way to take out the church and kill Jesus. He was a madman, remember, coming against the church. When he begins to describe communion here, it was a revelation of the time that just like God got his attention, Jesus got his attention on the road to Damascus, personally, this was something that he received directly, personally from Jesus. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. If you're taking notes, I want to lay out for you a few ingredients what happens and what communion is to commemorate as we partake of communion. Just a few things we see from what has been revealed to Paul. So number one, when we take communion, we look backward. We look backward. The elements, the broken piece of unleavened bread and the cup of juice represent and speak to us by symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus. They are not the body and the blood of Jesus. They do not become the body. And do you know communion has been argued about and still to this day that theologians spend the entirety of their life trying to prove what communion is? There are different views that some of you might even come up with. There's the view that it is literally the body and the blood. There's the view that it changes to the body and blood. There's the view that it changes later into the body and blood. And then there's the view that it's symbolic. I, I believe that a clear teaching of scripture is Jesus is showing us it's symbolic. He wasn't at the time of reclined around the table with the disciples as he was handing them the elements. He wasn't saying, take, eat, this is my flesh, and then giving him his arm to eat. It wasn't a literal taking in of his body. It was a piece of bread. There was no indication of Jesus whatsoever that that bread would be anything other than bread. The cup, anything other than Wine in his day, fruit of the vine, it was nothing, it didn't turn into blood. He never gave any indication that it would. To take it, this is my body. And as he was handing it, he was handing a piece of bread. Take, this is the new covenant in my blood. A careful reading here in the English, you'll notice, it's simple when you start reading the Bible in its simplicity, things get cleared up. You don't need to spend the rest of your life debating this. Even those that might be, you don't have to spend the rest of your life debating this. You look it up in the Greek, it's the same thing. Here in the English, they did a good job. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. So we might take that. We'll see, he says it's his body. But when he takes the cup here, Paul says, he says, take, this cup is the new covenant. He doesn't say it's his blood. He says it's the new covenant. So that when he's handing it, he said, this is the absolute agreement of our life and my promise to forgive you of sins by faith. It's not. It's just a cup with wine in it. It's to bring back remembrance of blood. 
He doesn't even use the same language. He says, this cup, it's the new covenant. That cup is not the new covenant. It's a symbol of the new covenant. The new covenant's not a cup. It's not wine. It's an agreement between you and God that by faith your sins can be forgiven. I don't know if, I might be just speaking to a few of you. I don't know if you like to argue, but if you do, you would better spend your time learning the gospel of Jesus and sharing it rather than arguing all the time. The time is just short. Some, they just love to argue, 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 and I have to ask you, what? What's the end result? Well, Ed, I win a lot of arguments. Okay, that's great. How about souls? Nah, not too many souls, Ed. What, are you going to take all your arguments into heaven with you? I mean, the first time you try to drop an argument on Jesus, bam, he's got you. You're never going to win. Okay, wait a minute, Jesus. Okay, I've got another one. I spent 50 years of my life formulating this argument. Here it is, and Jesus, boom. I'm like, oh, I spent 50 years thinking about that. I know, and it's not right. Can you hear that from Jesus? Is that what you want to hear from Jesus? You spent 50 years, what? Never winning a soul, but winning argument after argument after argument after argument. And if you're an arguer, can I just lay something out for you? Because I I went through a season like that as a new believer. How many of you notice people try to avoid you now? They don't want to be around you. They don't want to argue. Jesus' strongest words were not to people that needed him the most. They were the ones that were misrepresenting him. The ones that were teaching people wrongly. The ones that were hurting people in God's name. The Bible says that the common people heard Jesus gladly. I do believe that we need to give an answer for the faith that we hold. The Bible's clear on that. To know your doctrinal stance to understand the true teaching of Scripture and not let anyone undermine it. But there is no spiritual gifting of arguing. And even if you might be arguing with me right now in your mind, right? (laughs) Like, forget you, man. I'm going to argue. Because in my arguing, I've argued a few people into the kingdom. Really. What I have found that usually those that have been argued into the kingdom can easily be argued out. You come and convince them and some other... Guy comes to work and they convince him and they're back and forth, back and forth when what they really need is to be born again. And neither one of us can give anyone new birth. Only Jesus can do that. People were fighting and arguing about communion and the Bible couldn't be clearer. Symbolic. We look backward. We deliberately take our minds off of everything else and focus them on the finished work of Jesus. Even though we weren't there personally. We can see his work. We can see his work and know his work and believe it. We live in a society, have you noticed, that bombards us with information constantly. Do you ever get a headache with just how much information is coming, coming constantly, constantly, constantly? It's hard. You, you really do literally have to go up into the mountains and sit by a babbling, bubbling brook, you know, just by some water there to get your mind off all the craziness of your cell phone, your Facebook, Your Twitter, internet, radio, iPod, iPads, text messages, bus benches, bus advertisements, billboards, magazines. You can't even stand in line in Walmart without hearing something from the top and seeing something there. It's 
bombarding by they face the shelves so you can see this and see it catch this oh i catch this and you watching a sports event and they got you know you go to a sports event and they they fly a balloon over you dropping stuff on your head and you're of course you're always trying because it's like a gift card to chipotle so you're looking at it you know you want it but it's just all this information all constantly 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 coming most of the messages that we hear in society are indirectly or sometimes even directly related to meeting our needs. Advertising, in its very essence, is designed to create a want where there isn't one currently. You didn't want that car until you saw it driving on that windy road. And you're like, yeah. You have no money, you could never get it. But the next commercial is free money. Call the 800 number. And down on the bottom, you're like, it's 5,000% interest. And you don't read that so fast. It just, oh, it's all great. But down on the bottom, this is gonna, you're being in bondage the rest of your life. And you can't read that. You can't see that. The messages that are sent in our society are very direct, very specific. Communion doesn't speak about our needs or wants at all. It speaks of the finished work of Jesus the great equalizer in our hearts. Communion is a time to wind down, a time to empty ourselves of all these wants and desires, clearing the slate, looking backwards. That's Pastor Ed Taylor on what communion commemorates. And he'll be right back with more here on Abounding Grace. If you'd like to hear this message from 1 Corinthians again, go online at calvaryco.church. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. It's free, too. We've picked out a wonderful book by Christopher Yuan this month. It's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. In it, he explores the concept of holy sexuality, both chastity as you're single and faithfulness in marriage. Whether you want to share God's truth with someone who struggles in this area or you're wrestling with questions yourself, order a copy of Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. We're making it available to those that support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That number again, 877-30-GRACE. And please remember, we are listener-supported. Simply put, that means we look to our listeners to help us with the costs of being on the radio. Let's return to Pastor Ed for the rest of his message on communion. Number two, communion is also a look at the now, the present. It's not just a look backwards, but we also remember the present condition of our lives in the new covenant. That Christianity is a present reality. It is real now. I'm in Jesus Christ right now. I am living in an abiding relationship. My God is Jesus. I worship him. I serve him. I trust him. I want to be like him. I follow him. And when I die, I'm going to rise and be with him forever. That's communion. It's like, yes. All the stuff that's going in, it's so hard to process. It's a continual reminder that we are owned. We don't belong to ourselves. It'll be worth our time just reading that turn over to first corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 when we come through and take of the elements we're remembering our present reality jesus is everything any of the gaps are to be filled as we remember what he has done for us in the past 
what he is doing for us in the present. Verse 20, chapter 6, Paul says, For you were bought at a price. What was that price again? That's right, the sacrifice, the death and resurrection, the sacrifice of his blood. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Chapter 7, verse 23, same, same book. In case we missed it the first time, we've already seen it twice as a church because we've studied these. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. It's a beautiful relationship that we have. We look to the now. Communion's a reminder. I am presently owned. I don't own myself. Number three, we don't just look backwards. We don't just look now. But communion, when we take communion, we also look forward. We look into the future. Maranatha, even so, Lord, come quickly. Your promise is sure. Your word is steadfast. We proclaim, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread, this is chapter 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Till he comes. Maranatha, even so, Lord, you come quickly. Tomorrow and Friday on Abounding Grace, we'll set out to gain a biblical understanding of spiritual gifts as Pastor Ed Taylor opens 1 Corinthians 12. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.